your Bibles, I pray you do, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And again, if you're visiting, we are in the middle of, well, no, we're probably not in the middle. We're coming towards the end, but we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus, doing it in chronological order. And that's why sometimes I'll be in John and in other weeks I might be in Matthew or Mark. And uh, But what we're doing started in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was. And uh, we will finish our last study. We'll be in the book of Acts, actually. When we uh, see our Lord ascending into heaven. Someone asked me the other day, where are you going after that? I think we're going to just travel right into the book of Acts. Just makes sense, doesn't it? So, we're in John. Here, I'm looking at Revelation. What am I doing here? Wednesday night. So, by the way, we're in Revelation. Coming to the end of that. Someone said, what are you going to do after Revelation? Well, That'll be a little different. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and go to the book of Daniel. So if you're interested in prophecy, um, that might be a, a good book for you to come out on a Wednesday evening and study with us. But we're going to do the book of Daniel. But this morning, John chapter 12, our address is verse 37 or 27. And by the way, uh, we'll be taking a couple weeks off. I'll be in Nepal the next couple weeks. So if you want to read ahead, our next study in the, um, the ministry of Jesus will be um, John 12, and it'll start at verse 37 to 50. So if you want to read ahead. Uh, starting with verse 27 here, it says, man, he goes, now my soul, tr- my, well, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood about or stood by and heard it said that it it was thunder. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me. But for your sakes, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Mm. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him. We have heard it out of the law that Christ abide. Wait a minute. Did I miss a page there? Now, this signified what death he should die. People answered him and said, we have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. How sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Let's stand with Bible in hand and we'll go and we'll pray over this. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to gather and to, and to sing your praises and now to be in your word. 
Father, I just pray, God, that you would illuminate your word to our hearts, to our minds. And that, Father, when we leave this place this morning, Lord, we would be able to testify not just to one another, but to even within our own hearts that we have been enriched just by sitting in your presence and listening to your spirit and reading your word. So again, take your word, Father, pour it into our hearts. Let there be no distractions at all. Lord, again, give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to the church in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Thank you so much. By this time in Jesus' life and his ministry, he has now reached Jerusalem. Many scholars believe he's actually in the city in and of itself. It's during the week of Passover. And I have already told you what that was like. According to Flavius Josephus, man, there could be about a million and 1.5 million people just crammed in that little area known as Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, for the celebration of Passover. Now, it's important, though, that we kind of just highlight last week's um, Bible study, you know, because it does flow right into what he's talking about in our text this morning. If you remember last week, there were certain men who came to Jesus and they were called Greeks, but they were also known to be fearers or God seekers. These were a handful of Gentile people who loved what Judaism taught. They loved the idea that there was only one God, not like the Greek and Roman gods where um, they, they had probably a thousand of them at hand. They loved the fact that there was just one, I, the Lord, your God, am one God. And they loved the fact that he presented himself as a holy God. See, they were always wondering about their gods because a lot of times one God was in conflict with another God and there was this war going off up in heaven and whatever God you wanted to, to, to feed in, in the flesh, then you would appeal to that one. But these God seekers really wanted to know more about Jehovah. Now, they came short of being proselyte. Um, because they, they didn't buy into the right, the ritual of circumcisions. And the Jews taught if you want to convert to Judaism, one would have to be circumcised. Um, but as, as they come, they said this one little statement, a request. We want to see Jesus. We just want to see him. Now, you might look at a passage like this, just going through your daily reading and go, okay. They just wanted to get a glimpse. They wanted a selfie, you know. But it was much more than that. And I really went into some depth last week about that word to see there is idia, it's the Greek word. And I read the definition to you. But what he's, what he was saying there, what they're asking for is they wanted a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of who Christ was. Now they heard all the rumors just like everyone else did. They probably were on the outskirts listening to some of the teachings of the Lord. And they were just curious. But they just didn't want a group, pardon me, a group picture of him. Literally, again, and I kept using that word because this is my heart. I want everybody in this room that can hear my voice this morning. I want a desire in their hearts to want to know him deeper, more intimate, 
a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge. See, that's the danger of just living in a religious home. You get to know the Bible in a, sur- a surfacey way. You, if, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, what do you know about him? Well, well, I know whatever the Bible says about him. But you see, that's not what they wanted. They wanted to know something more intimate about Jesus. They wanted a deeper understanding. And there were five things that I laid out for you that I just saw in that text. For you and I to have a deeper understanding, number one, we have to implement, and I use that word implement, not an understanding, but to implement the death, burial, and the resurrection. Well, what's that mean, Harry? You know, well, exactly what I, I said. You've got to be able to implement. You, you, it, the death of Jesus Christ has to have an effect on your life somehow. You, you have to search the scriptures or seek the Lord out about it. What does the death mean to a believer? Well, it means I've been identified in his death. That means I can die to myself, that spiritually I can actually die to the things of the world and my flesh. And now I am buried with Christ, where all my sins have been put away, never to be remembered again. And I have been raised in the likeness of his resurrection I am alive. And that's where we get the term being born again. So it's more than just believing in, in the death, burial, and resurrection. That's why when we come to Easter and Christmas, right? It's coming up quick. Christmas is just around the corner, isn't it? You know, but we got that term Christers or something like that. They celebrate Easter and Christmas and that's it. You know, because they have a surfacey knowledge that, well, that's what you do at Christmas time. Your, your crazy relatives, these born-again Christians, they're going to invite you out to their Christmas Eve, sir. So let's just go and we'll get them off our backs. This place is packed Christmas Eve, you know. I don't even know where half the people come from. But that's what it is. It's just a surfacey thing. So God wants his, to understand, to have a deep knowledge of him, a deep understanding. You've got to understand and even more so implement the death, burial, and resurrection in your life. That's a study in and of itself. The second thing I said to you guys is to have a deeper understanding of the Lord and a deeper knowledge of him. You have to choose to live a life of obedience. The believer is not. Listen, listen, listen. The believer is not going to have a deep understanding of his Lord and Savior if he lives a life of compromise. Now, you guys know me. I'm not a legalistic, pharisaic kind of person up here. We all come fall short and we all have issues. But we have to come to a place in our walk with the Lord where we go, no, I've read the Bible and the Bible is telling me this thing in my life ought not to be. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the authority of him or the baptism of him, I am going to get victory over this. I have choose to live a life of obedience as a born again Christian. When that happens, it's amazing how deep your understanding becomes, how knowledgeable of the scriptures you become. And that was the second thing, to have a deep understanding and, and a knowledge of him. Third, we have to follow him into a life of, of servanthood. We follow him. If you don't follow him into a life of servanthood, then you're following your own itch. And then you're just going to scratch it wherever. Well, that's poor, a lame analogy, isn't it? But forgive me. I mean, but if you're just out there on your own thinking, I'll just serve him wherever I can. Man, you're going to live a life of frustration. There is something so cool about knowing that the Lord has led me into this particular ministry. 
you know, and, and not to venture off into someone else's. That'll just lead to a life of frustration. You, you know what your gift and callings are. You know what you can, what you have within you by the Holy Spirit to be used within the kingdom to further His kingdom and His purposes, right? But let me go out on the limb a little bit and don't shake it too hard on me. But I think everybody in this room, if you're listening to my voice and you're born again, every one of you has a ministry for His kingdom. Everyone. You should be. Now listen to your, your spiritual dad here. You should be somehow serving Him in some capacity. If not, you're like just this pool of water that just keeps building up and there's no outlet. And before you know it, either it bursts and then it just goes away or you become stagnant. And that's what happens to water that doesn't run. So let the water run. Amen, guys? Find a place where you can just find in the church. Start there. And then ask the member of the Bible says in your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the other. Well, I'm in the ministry, but it's just not in my church. Why? No, no. Hit your Jerusalem church, which is your local church, the church where you're fed. Get involved here. Then when the Lord starts to expand it, go to your Jerusalem, Judea, your Samaria. And then maybe you'll be one of the on our little blue prayer reminder cards. Imagine that. Are you, you, you with me this morning, gang? You know? But serve him. Don't be one of these guys that just comes out on us. I love you guys being here. Listen, if you're not here, why, why am I here? But yeah, I love you being here. But there's so much more. When you want a deeper understanding of him and a knowledge of him, man, you want to follow him in a life of service. And then number four, number four, as we grow, um, as we grow in our personal relationship. Yeah, we, we have a personal relationship But the Bible tells us we grow in that. And as you're growing in your personal, and I'll keep emphasizing the word personal, your relationship with the Lord has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with even your mate. You you know, your mate is not responsible for your joy. Well, I'm I'm cranky and miserable because of the... Well, that's sad. Now, Now, look, I'm not saying... They won't rock your world from time to time, you know, and they're not. But what I'm saying, if your joy is predicated upon somebody else, uh, it's very shallow, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength, but it's the joy of the Lord, not the joy of your husband or your wife. Make any sense? Wouldn't I be a a great marriage counselor? (laughs) What are you doing? Well, well, just stop that. Stop it. I don't want to lay hands on you. I think it would work. Guy walks out with a black eye. No. You don't talk to your sister that way. Anyway, I'm kidding. I would never, ever lay my hands on anyone. Um. So we look at a passage like that, like last week, and I great responses from it and i so appreciate that when you you tell me too by the way you know this is what the lord spoke to my heart about your message and now that encourages me and not that i'm looking f- for a pat on the back but it just really does bless me when i know you are being fed um so that a lot of people it's like an eye-opener sometimes you know i know about the death burial and resurrection but to implement it man that was pretty cool you know and the services i grow and i and i grow in my service yet I, and, and you almost say it's what such a 
a revelation, an apocalypse, you know, of something being unveiled for you. But now we go into another section of Scripture, and you're thinking, wow, can it top that? And I really do. I think it tops it. Because the section that we go into now, let's, let's start it off by saying this. Um, just like we can have a deeper understanding and a knowledge of who Jesus Christ really is, we can also have a deep, deeper knowledge and understanding of the cross. See, the cross of Christ is, well, it should be so important in, in, in your life as a Christian that when it's sung about, there's, there's a sense in your heart of, of a reverence and awe. When we start to think about the cross, you know, what was accomplished on the cross? To think about what Jesus actually did to get to the cross. That's why when I do communion service, man, I'm a blubbering idiot. I, I, I'm still that way, but saved since 73. Countless of communion services, you know. And there's not been a one. Honest to goodness, there's not been a one. Where if I read Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, Daniel chapter 9. Where I can't picture in my mind. Beard being yanked from his face. Being hit with a cloth over his head. Being hit with clubs. Spit upon. Where I just can't get my head wrapped around it. For me? Who am I? But he loved us so much. See, the cross. There's so much in the cross. Some of the most glorious hymns sing about the cross. Some of the songs I've been hearing recently in the modern Christian music today, it's almost festive. But there was nothing, if you were there, you'd probably pray, oh man, let that guy die quick. It was a horrible, horrific way to die. Be that as it may. We go into this, and there's a few things that I want to pull out. First, let's look. At verse 27. And again, just try to keep in mind. I don't want to keep sounding like I'm repeating myself. Deep understanding of the cross. A deeper knowledge of the cross. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto, unto this hour. Now why is this going to give us deeper? Because it's going to... It's going to give us a deeper insight to the one who hung on the cross for us, Jesus. That word in verse 27 where it says, now my soul, that word soul is um, the emotion. Remember, we are triune beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. Their body is what houses our soul and our spirit. That's going to eventually fade away. I'm feeling it recently. We are fading away. But our our spirit is was well before you came to Christ. It was entrapped. It was it was caught dead in the trespasses of its sin, sinful nature. But you also have your soul, which is your emotions. It's love. It's humor. It's what it's what makes you sad sometimes. It's the, it's the psyche 
um, makeup of a person. That's your soul. And that's what's troubled in Jesus. Not a spirit. It's his soul. He says, my soul is troubled. That word trouble there, if you want to circle it, means it is, well, one translation calls it a mighty disturbance. But, but the Greek indicates it is a stirring, it is an agitation. And the, the passage, the way it's, um, it's in the present tense, which means it's, it's a continuous thing. From this point on, Jesus just has his mind fixed on what he's going to go through leading up to the cross. Leading up to the cross. And again, remember that this cross, and you can buy books on it. You know, a doctor looks at Calvary, I think one book was called. But um, just to study it, and it's such, it was such a monstrous way to put someone to death. And listen, you and I were maybe not that familiar with the whole concept of crucifixion, other than that's what Jesus hung on. We don't understand, you know, the, the physical, the medial nerve with the, the spike went through, the agony that he went through. What, what did it feel like to have a, you know, a, something to go through the ankle of your feet? You know, what, what kind of, what's your pain level? One to ten, you know? Twenty. And see, Paul did. Paul common. Paul the apostle. So when he wrote in, in, um, in the Philippians, I believe it is, that Jesus died even the death of a cross. He understood exactly what that cross signified. But Jesus made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll be there in a month or so. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, and by the way, the, the word Gethsemane means olive press. And this is where Jesus is being pressed beyond measure. But if you remember, he goes there, he asks his disciples just to, you know, stay at a certain place, but pray. And then he goes along, I, alone. I don't think he wanted them to see the extreme trouble, anxiety that his, that he was going through. Because what we're told there is he began to cry out. He began to sweat great drops of blood. This is where Blood vessels would hemorrhage and mingle with, with your sweat. And you would, if you looked at somebody, you would go, my goodness, this guy is sweating blood. And that's what Jesus was doing. And he kept praying that one, three times, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let it pass from me. In Matthew 26, 42, he says he goes away a second time. He found his sleep and he couldn't even hang with me for an hour, guys, please. Stay, stay awake and pray. He goes, he starts praying again, and this is what he's saying. He says, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, your will be done. And I'm here to tell you this morning that he drank every drop of that cup. He took it all. He took it all. Can you imagine knowing the truth about your death? At 12 years of age. Just think. These young people. 12, 13, 14 years old. You went up to them and you said. Hey. Listen by the way. The reason why you were born. 
is because you're going to be judged by God. You're going to be handed over to the, the Jews. They're going to put you on a mock trial. Then they're going to hand you over to the Roman governor. And then he's going to beat you beyond human recognition. And then you're going to hang on. A, imagine knowing that at 12 years old. But you think, I know, and I don't think I know. Jesus knew that. If you remember when, G- when Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem and the parents finally caught up with him, do you remember what Jesus said? Mom and Dad, don't you know I'm about my father's business? He understood. He knew Psalms 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. All they that walked by, they shake their finger and wag their head. Oh, he saved others. Can't he save himself? The bulls of Beth Shan have encircled and with their mouth. The, the dogs have compassed me. And he knew it. No wonder, his, right at this point, he started to think about the cross and what led up to the cross. Paul said this in Philippians 2, 8, being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He, he wanted to say... This is what stands out. It wasn't any ordinary death. It was that horrible death on the cross. So we get a glimpse, a deeper understanding, I should say, of the cross. That Jesus indeed was obedient. Even from the time where he said, my soul is troubled. And he's making his way. I wonder how many times he thought, do I have to drink this cup? Do I have to do it? Do I have to do it? Thing that we learn about the cross and about the one who hung on the cross, he was fully God and fully human at the same time. Some and listen, I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. You know, that's outside of those that don't study script. They just can't fathom. They can't grab that concept that how can Jesus and God be the same? Well, then throw the Holy Spirit in there. Now you really have confusion, don't you? Just as we are triune, you know, the body, soul, and the spirit, we are still one, aren't we? This is still Harry. The triune, the trinity of God, we are never going to completely understand it this side of heaven. But I guarantee you, folks, when you step into that other side, when you walk into the eternal, you will know all things as they're to be known. Oh, that's how that trip. Man, was I off, you know. But without the Trinity, you can't eliminate the Godhead of Jesus. Because if you could say Jesus was not God... Then what died on that cross and what gives us a deeper understanding, if he was just man, we're still caught in the trespasses of our sin. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're all going to hell. But because Jesus was God in the flesh, he humbled himself, he became a man. The one who died on the cross was none other than God, his son and the Holy Spirit. Don't you love him? Listen, gang, I don't like that. I don't understand it. Let me ask you, if I could explain it to where you did understand it, would he be God? No, God can't be explained. We used to laugh in seminary. Yep, third third year of theology, Theo, God, and we're going to study all about him. No, we're not going to have full comprehension until we're finally with him. 
Amen, church? So again, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? He says there, Father, save me from this hour. Look, the thing I want to point out here is this hour and for this cause. Listen, guys, Jesus knew exactly why he was there. It was for this hour. It was for this cause. And you know what? Deep down in his heart, he knew he knew what to expect. He knew what to expect. Did you ever hear a Christian going, wow, if I if I had expected that, I wouldn't have done it. You know, well, let me tell you what you can expect as a Christian. You ready? Get something out. You got to you got to write this down now because I don't know when you hear. I didn't expect that. You know, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. There you go. Write it down. You're going to have some hiccups along the way. And it's not always going to be rosy. And you're going to have your trials, you know. But that's what Jesus said. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. But he also told us he overcame the world. And we don't have to fret that. Amen. All right. Um, Paul, the apostle, gave us. Also, he says, this is truly a a truthful saying and worthy of all expectation. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's exactly why he died on the cross to save sinners. Now, where Paul is wrong, imagine saying that. He went on to say, and I'm the chief of them. Well, Paul, this is going to be an interesting conversation when we get to heaven because I truly think I am the chief. How about you? You think you out, you outdo Paul the apostle when it comes to, to sin issues? Listen, the bottom line, gang, is Jesus died for everyone's sin, past, future. And when we get to heaven as Christians, we're going to hear, boy, are you lucky to get in. <laughs> There's smoke on your fire, your tail, man. You better, what's that? Sulfur I smell? No. You know what he's going to say? Well done. Well done. Good, faithful servant. Why? Grace. Grace alone. Through faith. That not of yourselves. But we get a deeper understanding about the cross. And next time we break bread together, gang, I want you to hold that cracker. That's all we, those stale crackers. Don't they taste stale? But then you hold that in your hand and, and, and we have a little bit of grape juice, you know, that signify his blood. But instead of just thinking, okay, this is what we do. You know, when we're done, just think, now. this is his body. This is, represents his body and the brokenness of his body. And every blood, every drop of blood represents my, the forgiveness of my sin. Now, and see if you don't take it with more emotion, more thanksgiving in your heart, more love towards him. You know... <clears throat> So the first thing that we see that in this text, then I'm going to have to pick up the pace real quick. There's just, I, th- I think, four or five things I pulled out of the rest of the scriptures. So just jot them down as we go along. The first thing, and the reason why we come to a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge, that what the cross does, the cross glorifies the name of Jesus. Now, this is where you have to pay attention a little bit and 
write, write certain things down. Where it says to glorify, that Greek word is doxa, D-O-X-A. And because of the tense, it's got the verbiage at the end. But what that literally means is this. It means to praise, to extol. It means to magnify. It means to bring one into celebration. So when he says to glorify your name, what he's talking about is, Father, glorify your name. I want your name to be celebrated. And I want your name to be lifted up. I want your name to be praised and glorified. Now, where we get a a deeper understanding of the cross is in that word name. N-A-M-E. Onima in the Greek. What's that stand for? Let me read you a brief definition of what onima means. Ready? It means this. The name is used for everything which the name covers. Everything, um, the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning or hearing or remembering the name, i.e., for one's rank, authority, interest, pleasures, commands, excellence, and deeds. So in other words, when we say we pray in the name of Jesus... It isn't the J-E-S-U-S. What we're talking about is all of his attributes. We're talking about praying in the name of God, praying in the name of Jesus. We're saying we're praying in the name of the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one, omniscient, the all-knowing, the omnipresent. He is everywhere. So you just, when you say Jesus, it's more than that. It is Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Lord. Jesus, the one who took my sin. Jesus, the one I love. So when he says the cross, what the cross should produce, it should produce glorification. It should glorify the Lord God of who he is. Listen, it tells us that God commended it. I'm sorry, but God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the reason I bring that to your attention is the word commendeth there. My old King James commendeth. Literally, what that means is that it is a word picture. Let me give you a picture. You go to a juror. A, jewelry, a, a jewelry store and you want to see some some diamonds you don't want it already set you want to kind of do your own setting and also you just show me some nice diamonds well the juror will come out and he will just lay out a black velvet cloth won't he and then with a light over top of the black velvet cloth with a light shining down he throws down his diamonds on that and you go oh wow Can I touch them? Wow. What's, what's that one worth, you know? More than your life, pal. And, you know, you look at that and you're thinking, but would it have been the same beauty without the velvet and without the light shining on it? But see, God showed his love through a very dark picture, a dark background. Someone dying for our sins. Someone would take our, our place on the cross. I heard this old time preacher. Maybe it's something I read. He said he had a dream. And the dream was he was in the background. And he saw someone with a mallet. With a peg. And he begins to ram it and jam it and bang it. As it was piercing what he knew to be Jesus' wrist. And he wanted to stop him. It was so brutal. 
And he ran and he turned the guy around. And he realized it was him. He was now. See, that's a back. That's a black background. Our sin nailed him there. We nailed Jesus. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't. It wasn't the the religious Jews. It, he died for us. God commended His love. He showed love even when we were that black velvet. He demonstrated His love by sending His Son to die on our behalf. Now, why do I want that knowledge of the cross? Because the deeper my knowledge of all that was accomplished on the cross, a deeper understanding, and it sounds somewhat selfish, but I want you to have the same experience. I keep falling deeper in love with Jesus, man. The deeper I get with Jesus, listen, tune it and dial in. The deeper I get into Jesus and his knowledge and his love, the more religious things I I don't care for anymore. I want to walk with him and talk with him on life's narrow ways. Because he lives, he lives. I can face tomorrow. Make sense, gang? So we do. That's one of the areas where we deeper. It glorifies the Father. The second thing that it does, we see that the cross represents judgment upon the world. You notice in verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. He's talking about the worldly system. Listen, what we see today, and I believe this with all my heart, you can have your own opinions. And everyone's welcome to those, by the way. We don't squabble over different opinions. But my, but my opinion is what we see happening in the world today is a judgment. Where we see lawlessness being heightened and increasing and it's all being cloaked under the phoniness of humanity. But yet sin is still sin no matter how you paint that thing. And we're beginning to see, you know, what you what you uh, sow you're going to reap. I think of the impending wars that just are around the around the corner. I think of what Israel just went back on high my pastors over there with his church. We pray for Calvary Philly. They go at their worst times. And uh, but then but then again, what we see, we see. I, I, and again, I, I'm watching the weather lately. Tell me that's not freaking you out a little bit. A whole bus gets swallowed up in a sinkhole. Now, now, look, I'm not a sensationalist, but when I look at something, I'm going, well, that's a little weird. You know, people being washed away with different tidal waves. I, I don't know, gang. I just see things that I'm born of over and over and over that we'll see in the seven years of tribulation. But I see a precursor of them all happening right now. So, But the cross brings me into awareness of that. Why? Because the world is going to be judged. Whether you think it's soon or much later, it, the fact is it's still going to be judged. And the second thing that I see and I grow in a deeper understanding is the third point where I see Satan now is going to be judged. And we know because I just went through Wednesday night. We know that there's going to come the time where, again, what we call hell, the lake of fire, Gehenna, will be opened up for Satan, for Lucifer or the dragon, whatever you want to title him. And he is going to be cast into the lake of fire along with the false prophet and the Antichrist. 
It's coming. So when I look at the cross, I know that that cross glorifies my father. And I know when I look at the cross, I know that because of that cross, there's going to come a day of judgment where the world will be judged. And so will Lucifer have his final day in judgment. So that cross represents a lot more than just an, a historical event. Last poll, I think it was Gallup, he said they, in their poll's research, they said 80% of the people believe that there was a God and that there was a Jesus, but all in a historical figure sense. 80%. Let me tell you something, dear friend. If Jesus isn't more than just in a historical figure, and that's all he is, you're kind of missing the reason for the cross. Jesus went and died on in our behalf. We know that. And as we just close out with a, a song, ask the Lord, Lord, bring the cross into focus. When you're doing your devotions. Ask him just, Lord, don't let me forget the cross. Let's stand together.